boy oh boy everybody today i have shane salkin talking to me he is an award-winning audio drama creator producer and sound designer shane arrived in the podcasting scene in 2009 with his first project we are alive an audio drama that now has over 200 million downloads spanning more than 150 countries around the world and despite how impressive that is his new audio drama carcerum is magnitudes better featuring an enormous cast of characters and full original music. Honestly, it draws in the listener like no other media before it. He has also worked alongside numerous Emmy winners and by all measures has been my favorite guest to date. Before I get into the episode, I just wanted to say thank you again to everyone listening and to everyone who's left a review or shared this with someone they know. It means so much to me, and the support that I've gotten has carried me through a lot of struggles. And you might be sitting there listening to this thinking, well, my single listen can't do much, but you would be wrong. Oh, so wrong. And to prove how wrong you are, I'm happy to inform you all that I have picked up my first sponsor. That's right, I'm officially getting paid to do this. And it's not a big contract or that much money. It's really not much money at all. But this is a massive step for me as I'm trying to grow the show. So here we go. Yodel.io is a new, free service that allows users within a semi-close location to communicate anonymously. You don't even need an account to use the platform. Just go to Yodel.io, enable location, and you can start using it immediately. Add read aside, this is actually a pretty cool platform. You can set the range in miles for how far out you want to post. I'm talking 10, 25, however far you want to go. Then you can ask for recommendations or assistance, you could report hazards or speed traps or promote a pop-up concert or advertise your yard sale, literally anything you could think of. Then, after a set amount of time, poof, it's just gone. Gone with the wind. So check out Yodel.io. That's Y-O-D-A-L dot I-O. Alright, no more delays. Let's get dramatic. Welcome to the podcast, Shane Salk. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you on. For anyone that isn't aware of your prior work, why don't you give us just a little taste of your very large uh, resume? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, uh, I am an audio drama producer and creator. Um, I started out as an actor and I still am an actor. I created a, a show back in 2009 called We're Alive. Uh, I was one of the creators of that, and I was also Lieutenant Angel, if anybody's familiar with the show. And currently, I have released a show called Carcerum, which is a high fantasy show. Uh, Full cast, full sound effects, original musical score, that kind of Princess Bride meets Game of Thrones. As an actor, I've worked in L.A. and New York and in between. I was the genie for Disney Cruise Line, their sing and dance and show on a brand new ship. The fantasy at the time, it was a brand new ship. I have been in uh, voiceover TV shows like American Dad. I've been in in video games, major video games. I've been in done theater across the country. And 
I run a recording studio at the moment uh, in North Hollywood, California. So that's a, that's a gist. Yeah, that is an impressive resume, if I do say so. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, and as we were setting this up, it was one of those that I was like, this is maybe a little... Uh, <clears throat> A little nostalgic or a little embarrassing for me, but um, We're no. Alive was my first audio drama that I ever listened to. Wow. Well, I hope you liked it. <laughs> I did. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, I was just getting back into, you know, what is podcasts at the time. And I was like, oh, they have stories. Let's listen to this. And <laughs> it, it happened to be We're Alive. You know, there's, we're still answering that question of what is a podcast, what is an audio drama, what is a, a radio drama. I mean, I ask those questions constantly, and I have conversation with people constantly because it's still a relatively new medium uh, in terms of how people talk about it and and when people talk about it. I mean, I don't I don't really enjoy saying that I make podcasts. Because most of the time when I when somebody says that people get a very, you know, what they think is a very clear image of what that means in their head. It's, uh, you know, a couple people talking. It's a roundtable discussion sort of like this. And that's what people think. And that's not what I make. So a lot of times I say I make audio series because it gives people at least half a pause to go, well, what does that mean? Um, and then you can kind of talk about it. But I think in general, we can talk about you know, a podcast is just something that's put out on those platforms. That's what it is. You know, a YouTube series is, well, there's, you know, people go, oh, well, what kind of series is it? But you don't really have that conversation with podcasts. Uh, you know, I make movies. What kind of movies? I make TV shows. What kind of TV shows? So we can start having those conversations, especially about audio dramas, because we have the language to talk about films and and tv but we haven't uh converted that language into podcasting yet and i think that's something that is is needed it definitely is and just like you said you know podcasting is just like a publishing format right it's so broad because you can listen to anything from you know a, a group of people talking you know comedic hijinks to there's news programs that are now podcasts and podcasting hasn't even just stayed in the the audio format exclusively it's starting to get this crossover even on you know spotify where uh they'll have dual programming where if your screen's on there's a video but if your screen's not on and you're driving it's just the audio right yeah there it's it's a whole new ballgame and there's also uh, numerous other platforms coming out that are dedicated to figuring out how to make audio and video together with these podcasting you know podcasters talk all the time of whether they have they put their stuff on youtube because youtube is one of the largest platforms where people technically ingest podcasts but to me that's not a podcast that's a video youtube format which is it you know from an insider podcast mindset you have your there's something called your RSS feed, which I'm sure you're aware of. But um, for people that don't know, you know, an RSS feed is is your file living on a website somewhere. So it's, it's uh, you know, regardless if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, 
everything comes back to that RSS file, RSS feed. And so you get all of your numbers, you know, who's listening, where they're listening, how many people are listening. But if you put it on YouTube, it doesn't go to the same place. So you have to add up your, uh, your listens in different places and all these things. So it's a, it's, it's a very interesting world that we're coming to. And I don't know exactly where it's heading in terms of video versus audio versus live stream, um, all combining into these one, one or two places. But uh, I can tell you that I, for the last 10 years, I've strongly believed that audio and entertainment in general is going to get to a high, a high audio place where for years, you know, podcasting was sort of, it was the, you know, public access channel and, you know, you could do all these things and, and people have a lot of fun and they, and they do what they want, but we're getting to a place where things are possible. So I like to say we do the HBO of audio because we're doing what's really fun for me. And what's in my head is to create these worlds and create environments that you can see in your own head and it's as vivid as if you were in a 3d world but you're not looking at anything and to take that mentality into the audio world i think is where a lot of these you know tv networks and stuff are going to be headed they just didn't know it 10 years ago and i think they're starting to kind of catch up and go well there's something here because it's cheaper to make audio than a lot of video yeah, and there's something to that because it's the uh, the theater of the mind aspect that has very much you know had a resurgency, and you know there's a lot of podcasts have started dedicating themselves to tabletop play, and that's all something that's you know entirely in your head. And then there's like audio drama where there is a musical setup, where there are voice actors, where there's a story going on. And it's entirely up to you to start, you know, perceptualizing that on your own. Absolutely. And there's so many different kinds of audio drama with between, again, that comes into the language that we used, but there's, you know, narrator driven radio drama or audio dramas. There's, you know, I've had people say, oh, I do an audio drama. And I say, oh, what kind? They're like, well, it's, you know, one person reading a book and they consider a book on tape an audio drama. I make very different stuff than all those things, but the fictionalized audio storytelling is really what we're talking about. There are so many, you know, audio fictionalized storytelling is, is a huge growing, growing market and a growing entertainment base for people. And I think it's incredible. I think it's, it's fantastic that there are so many different styles of that between, I mean, I think audio drama is different than book on tape, which is different than a, an audio play, but all of it is together going, you know, radio used to be talk shows and music. That was it. Back in the day, we had audio, audio dramas and, and comedy shows and stuff. And those things have moved to a podcast format. And we're in a very early stages of audio. So I'm super excited to see where it goes in the next 10, 20 years where people are, you know, doing things we can't even fathom right now. Yeah, and for anyone that's that's listening that hasn't listened to We Are Alive, there is this very like you get drawn in. You know, I was in the in a public space, obviously I was working and I was listening to it, and you get drawn into this like, you know, there aren't people anymore and you need to, you know, be a part of this 
this collective that's setting up, you know, their own outpost and they're trying to find a way to survive without the modern necessities. And now say like, oh, it's a podcast, but it has, you know, over 200 million downloads. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, incredible. Yeah. And I, and, you know, Carcerum is a different uh genre where it's the fantasy genre it's all about relationships so if you're not into fantasy i would say still check it out because it's just like we're alive the whole point is the relationships between people and the the challenges they have they overcome but in this setting but with carcerum it's a world that doesn't exist so it's even more of a we don't use the narrator thing and you're literally creating a world that's different to everybody. We're alive. It's like, oh, well, these are real places. You know, I know what the world looks like. I know what trees look like. I know what buildings look like. Well, with Carcerum, we give you less information because it's a world that doesn't exist. So whatever building you see when we're talking about it or we're in that building is correct. So it it excites the mind even more and I started, you know, did We're Alive, to, we launched in 2009, and it's whatever year it is now, what is time, right? Um, right? But the immersive quality of Carcerum, to me, is it's even more dramatic. It's I would say anyone that's, you know, intrigued by fantasy or by any kind of a fictional uh, setting should honestly listen to it, because it does give you this whole new world to explore that uh, you're just not going to get out of other formats. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, you know, the things that you learn over the course of 10 years are, are, are different, different things you want to try because there was a lot of trial and error. And I think that back in 2009 or even, even now, I think people, um, because it's not such a popular in the mainstream genre of things, people can fall back on this idea. It's like, well, it's audio. We can be forgiven for little things here and there. It's a podcast. No one's going to care about this and that. And I think that is true. But we we strive to not let ourselves off the hook in any way of, of well, it's audio. It'll be fine. You know, there, there, it's a, there's a gimmick to it. And I don't, I don't allow us to lean on that as a gimmick, which is, is important to me. Yeah, not having any crutches to uh, to work with, so to speak. Exactly. So in, in developing that, in working on Carcerum, how in-depth do you go when you need to start building this world? Very. We actually had had some people get together and for, for a weekend we we talked about it. And we first the first day we really developed what the world was, what the history of the world is, what the rules of the world is. Um, is there magic? Is there no magic? How does it work? What are the, you know, even if it never comes up within the first season of the story, we have rules on how the physics of this world works, you know. What is magic? How does it work? What comes around? And I think with We're Alive with the zombies, we came up with those things as well. It's where did they come? You know, we don't talk about it for a very long time, but you know, where did they come from? What are the rules? How do you kill them? What happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? What's the science behind it? And I think when you're doing any world building at all, you have to start there you have to have your own rules and you have to follow those rules can you find loopholes can things change absolutely but the first thing is you know what is your setting and what are the rules 
And then after that, everything becomes a lot easier because it's, again, it comes down to the relationships of the characters. And I'm huge. Story is my, is my jam. Relationships are my jam where it's the interesting part of all of it is whether people have guns or swords or knives or magic or not magic or dragons or whatever, it's still those relationships that drive the story and keep people listening. If you just wanted to see a bunch of dragons, you'd go find a book of dragon pictures. <laughs> right. So yeah, that's, we start there and then we, then, then you write e- each character as a full person that has needs, that has wants, desires. They have their own, you know, missions and, how do those conflict with the other characters' missions? Yeah, and working then to now, have you noticed it's significantly more work to kind of build everything out rather than to start with, say, okay, we have zombies, which is a, it's like a building block, and we can alter them in certain ways as long as they're recognizable to people uh, in some format, whereas now... You're like, okay, we're not starting off of any one building block, so we have to develop all the rest of this. Um, I would think uh, in, in some ways, yes. It's hard for me to say that the zombie building block versus the fantasy building blocks are easier. I would say I have more knowledge now, and I have more self-awareness of when I'm letting myself off the hook, when I go, oh, that's fine, it doesn't matter. And the awareness that I have of writing the scripts with Carcerum was much more difficult in terms of, again, not letting myself off the hook going, well, I know what's possible. I know sometimes what matters here and there. There was definitely a lot of things that were more fun about creating a bigger world with more new rules. And there were definitely things where, you know, we wrote the whole first season before we started recording. So there were times when i write something in episode or I'd get to episode 20 and we would write something and I'm like, Oh, it would be really cool if this could happen. And then I'd have to go back to episode two or three and change something. <laughs> so all the rules stayed the same, or you'd go back to episodes two or three and drop like a, like an Easter egg. So, you know, when you're there and you don't even notice it, but in episode 20, when somebody says something, you're like, Oh, that. That's what was happening back in episode two. And that's a lot of fun to do. But there are a lot more. I will say in with Carcerum, there are a lot more things that could have gone wrong <laughs> because you're creating so many more new rules than with with the zombies, because you're really only with the zombies. You're you're only changing one element of science. But with fantasy, you're changing a lot more. And uh, curing that Easter egg is always really cool. I think probably one of the best aspects for me with it is when you re-listen to something. You know, it's your second pass through and you hear it on episode two and you're like, oh, this is the thing. Like, this is when it starts. Oh, no, all this stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. And and it's a lot of fun for us writing it because we'll do those things and uh, sometimes I'll forget about it and then I'll get to episode 20. I'm like, Oh, that's right. We did that thing. Oh, we're so smart. <laughs> um, and my, my father actually says to listen to every episode twice because there's so much happening. So he literally will listen to everything twice. 
to get all of the little nuances and, and all those things. Cause the first time you're kind of going through and you're getting the story and all these things happening. And the second time you can hear all those nuances. Yeah. I love the Easter eggs. And there are things that we've done in season one that if we get to season two, we'll even hopefully blow people's minds that we thought that far ahead. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And how do you start even planning an immersive story for something like this with such knowing that you're on audio and that that's what you, you know, everyone has to rely on. How do you start planning? I tell everybody, and I very, very much so, is we, we write it like a movie. I don't think of it as audio. The only time I ever think of it sort of as audio is, is a perspective thing. There are a couple things that I'm like, oh, if we could pull this off with audio, it would be really cool. But we're really thinking it as the visuals. When I have people write, if I'm asking someone to write me something, I will say, write the movie, don't write the audio. I will change it into the audio format because there's a lot less to change than you think you have to. And when we're directing and when I'm designing, it's all a very visual experience to me. I'm seeing what the environment is, what the buildings look like, what the people are doing. If you listen to Carcerum, every single person has footsteps. And I have a I have a MIDI keyboard that is attached to a plugin, and I literally sit there and play people's footsteps. So I know if they're shuffling, I know if they're walking fast, I know how heavy this person is because I'm seeing them in my head. So it's not that I because I also have this trust of of the audience and of the design to go, we can get people to understand enough that they see something in their own heads. The specific choices that we make with designing and with the writing are not necessarily what has to be viewed as it were by the audience. You see whatever you want to see. You see whatever you do see. I'm going to take credit for it. Don't get me wrong. If you say, Oh, I loved that they were in purple. I'm going to take credit for you seeing purple. I didn't design purple, but that's what you experienced. We would have people, you know, in, in sword fights and stuff. They're like, oh, when they're running up this hill, it was amazing when he was doing that and she was doing this. And I, I'm sitting here going, well, we, you know, I'm talking to my partner, Bill. And he's like, did you design a hill? I go, I didn't design a hill, but let's take credit for that hill. <laughs> that's the best hill. Exactly. That was absolutely what happened. So one of the things that I have a little bit of a pet peeve about when I listen to other shows is when I feel that somebody's not trusting the audience, if they're designing too much, or if the dialogue is too lay it out for me, I'm going to go out that door over there. This blue door is going to, you know, and then I'm like, I don't care. I know what a door sounds like. I don't care what color it's supposed to be, unless it has something very vital to do with the story. But if I trust the design and I trust the audience to follow me along, then it makes everything so much easier. And again, my job is not to get you to see what I see. My job is to get you to see something. If I make specific choices in my designs, then you will, your brain will go, oh, well, this is what's happening. Hopefully, <laughs> if I've done my job right. Speaking of things that are easier or harder, we are still kind of uh, mid shutdown. Mm -hmm. And has that, you know, had a real impact on trying to make this a larger scale recording? Very much so. 
we were going to launch about uh, seven months before we did. And the shutdown happened. So we postponed for a number of reasons. Getting people in to record was a, a challenge. I mean, the good thing is that we converted very quickly to a remote recording kind of setup. So anybody who had the capabilities of recording from home did. And so we were able to keep keep recording in, in that vein. Uh, it was a it was a rough, rough year uh, in many ways because we didn't do anything. I, I went home and I was at the studio and then there's no windows at the studio. So I'm either editing or designing or trying to run the studio during this whole pandemic. There were some really, really rough days and rough weeks because we couldn't get people in. We couldn't do promotion. We couldn't, you know, we, we talked about how long these episodes are going to be and, and they're average about 20, 25 minutes, I think. And I designed that for commuters because the average drive time in the U.S. is 15 minutes and everybody stopped commuting. So, you know, the, the silver lining is we had more time because we did postpone so we could make everything even a little bit better and, and get really nitpicky on certain things that I think paid off greatly. And our music is amazing. Dave Volpe, who does our music, had the, you know, if we had launched earlier, I don't know if we would have had the ability to get as great a music as we did. but. There was some really challenging days in there for sure. Uh, but we got through. Which is great because that's that's definitely hard to try and shift from, okay, everyone's driving. This is the timeline. This is what we're going to try and fit. And now everyone's at home and there is no timeline and we have no idea what people are doing. Well, and the nice thing is that one of the the great things is is, I mean, I've been listening to audio for since I was a little kid, I think my parents were trying to keep me off a of TV and I got audio tapes of old time radio shows. So I've had this in my head for a very long time. But during the pandemic, a lot of theater shut down. You couldn't shoot films. So a lot of even independents started going, well, let's make a podcast. Let's make an audio drama. So it brought that kind of art into the forefront of people's minds. Hard thing is uh, a little bit of since so many people started doing it, when you say, oh, we have this audio drama, everybody kind of shuts down because they're like, yeah, everybody's doing this. They're recording on their phone under tables and, and stuff. So you also lose some of that intrigue. But I'm, I'm really happy that has brought more attention to the medium as an art form because uh, it's, you know, a little bit more accepted now. And so it's, again, when the quality is there, uh, it's it's really nice to to see people's responses to it. Well, and it's especially nice that you have such quality that you do, because like you said, there are a lot of people that are just, you know, taking their phone and their headphones or whatever, and they're recording under the table. Right. And I applaud anybody that does any kind of art. There's not I'm not I'm not criticizing the uh, the person who does that, because again, you're doing something. Any Anytime you do anything, you achieve something or you complete something or even set out on the journey to do something like this artistically, you should be applauded for it because it's not easy. It's like anybody doing stand-up comedy should get a standing ovation because even if you bomb and you're not funny, you just got up in front of a bunch of people who you don't know and there's nothing more revealing or intimidating than going, well, here are things that I wrote. This is what I did. And that's terrifying. 
And, and I feel that same way about putting out a podcast. You did something. You should be proud of the fact. If nobody hears it, you should be proud of it. And I think if you hold yourself to a certain standard, if you say, well, I can do better, I can record this better, I can do these other things I just didn't, that's one thing. But if you did everything that you could and, and you achieved what you wanted to achieve, all power to you, man. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the great things that I've found in the podcast world, not for myself, but for things that I listen to is you get so much more fan interaction. Even if you don't have the world's best production quality, people still love what's going on and they're willing to, you know, just go along for the, for whatever you're producing. Yeah. The content is, is if, if you're doing a show that people like, they can they'll forgive you for a lot of stuff. And then they'll also notice when it gets better quality and, and they're like, oh, I'm so, you know, it feels like they're really genuinely proud of you, even if they don't know you. And, and that's it, it does feel like a more personal back and forth between people. Do you think because there's more people putting stuff out or there's more people at home that have the time to listen to it? Do you think it, it helped or it hurt your audience development? Oh, um, I. I think it hurt it a little bit in terms of, of uh, especially because I say, you know, we designed it for commuters and people stop commuting. Um, I don't think people are, our show is not something that you can casually listen to. We've had a number of people say, well, I was listening to this at work. And then I realized I hadn't worked for 20 minutes, so I can't really do that. So I think that's, that aspect of it was, is a little bit harder, but now that people are starting to, you know, commute and drive and, and do things. Uh, I think it's, it's growing a little bit here and there. The, the fact that every other, a lot of other people started making stuff. Um, I don't, I don't know the, the, the only time that I would say that that would have hurt us is if somebody was like, Oh, I usually listen to this stuff, but so many people have so many that I just don't care anymore. And I don't even want to give anything a chance. But I think overall, you know, anything that grows the medium is good. I think that it can benefit everybody. We've, we've gotten into a number of festivals and a number of, of festivals who this is the first year they're doing podcasts and people are having more conversations about this kind of production because people are going, okay, well, a lot of people keep talking about this stuff. There are bad ones, there are good ones, but okay, I'm, I'm willing to listen to somebody talk about it now because it seems to be more and more popular. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, it's hard for me to, to, to think of this is the world we live in. So, you know, you can look at everything as a negative, a negative outcome, but it doesn't really help you. And, you know, if I said, well, I, you know, I'm so tired of everybody making these shows when we're making such a good show and it's and we're getting pushed down because all these crappy shows are out there. That's such a selfish, selfish way of looking at it, because why do I deserve to make this make a show more than somebody who just wants to make a show with their friends? Absolutely. And I've I've heard like I've listened to a lot of podcasts. And so I've heard people on both sides where they say, oh, you know, there's more people at home with more free time. And so now they're listening. And I've heard people say like, well, yeah, but now they're at home and they have access to Netflix and they have access to games or whatever they're doing at home that they don't necessarily listen to anything anymore. 
And so some places have seen big number jumps and some people have seen big number drops. Yeah. So it's just one of those that I was interested to hear kind of what had happened on your side. It, you know, and I, and I could speculate and say that thing, you know, people aren't driving. So our show wasn't listened to, uh, but again, it's all speculation. You, you don't have any idea. Yeah. And I mean, essentially you're making a new show. You're kind of developing an audience from zero. Exactly. You're, you're going up. So at, I mean, one person to two people is a huge gain. Exactly. I, I totally agree. I mean, I can imagine some shows that, that are talking about specific industries that are getting hit hard by the pandemic would see a drop off because people aren't trying to learn about that industry at the moment. And other ones that are about, you know, self-improvement where so many people are trying so hard to keep it together. And these times that we're in may see a, a jump because people are, are really trying to self-improve. Um, regardless of the, the numbers, I think it's really important for all podcasters, but audio drama specifically as well to, to remember that the success, the way you feel about your show, the success of your show should not necessarily be tied to download numbers or m money. I'm very proud of Carcerum. If nobody listened to it, I would still be incredibly proud of this production. That's sort of where we start from going. We need to make something that we're proud of, that we're happy with. If nobody hears it, we'll be you know, disappointed, but it doesn't reflect on the quality of work that we've done. And I think that's, that's important to sort of remind yourself. Well, and it's a great headspace to have because I know, you know, trying to record the first thing I ever recorded, it was so nerve wracking and you can't stop thinking, you know, does anyone like this? Am I going to reach anything? And then once you're done and you've put in that work and you've edited it and you've put it out there, you're like, you know what? If I have one person that listens to this, I've done great. You know, Absolutely. That's, that's way more audience than I thought I was going to get. Well, and it's funny because I, I sat my team team down a long time ago and I said, look, if we're going to do this, once we put this out, realize that the Internet is a terrible place. And they're like, what do you mean? I go. We're making something that we're proud of, that we like, that we're, you know, all these things. There are going to be people that just decide they want to be jerks and just say terrible things or dislike us because of jealousy or, or whatever, or just because they can. But remember the feeling that we're having right now when you're listening to it for the first time, when we put out that first episode of how proud you are of what we've accomplished and what we put out, because that's what drives us forward, not... The reaction of a few individuals who just want to feel powerful for a half a minute. And, and I, again, I think that's really important where I had, even before we started recording, I had friends who I would tell what we were doing to, and they go, Oh, you know, you, you shouldn't do that. You should do this other thing. And I go, why? And they go, well, it's not really something I would listen to. And I go, well, you're not my demographic. And they <laughs> go, why not? And I go, because you don't like what I'm doing. <laughs> that's why this is what I'm doing. I'm not trying to make a show for you. And, you know, they couldn't wrap their head around it. So if somebody comes to you and you make a show and they say, well, you know, it would have been better if this and this and that. And you go, well, you're not my demographic. You go, well, why not? Because you don't like what I did. <laughs> that's, yeah. I'm my demographic. That's a little different conversation if you're talking demographics to someone you're selling your show to or something like that. But in general, that's how I feel about it.
you're not my demographic if you don't like what I'm doing. Yeah, you're like, well, that's a great idea that you've got that changes mine 100%. You should produce your own show. Exactly. You know what you should do? I do know what I should do. It's probably not what you're going to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you should do. Here's a mic. Walk into the booth. You're going to start recording your own show. <laughs> exactly. And and I will say, you know, I mentioned self-awareness earlier. And I, I that that is the biggest thing to me. Because if somebody says something, I take it in and I go, my first instinct is I don't like that idea. Now I think to myself, do I not like that idea because I don't like the idea? Or because for some reason I'm jealous that it wasn't my idea or I want to you know, not give this person the power or the ability to say that they came up with an idea or something like that. All of it's subconscious, all of it, whatever, but the self-awareness of going, oh, I like that idea. Or somebody saying something that you're telling them, oh, I like that idea. Then you think about your self-awareness and go, now, do I like that idea because I'm scared to tell this person I don't like that idea? Do I like that idea because it's actually a really good idea for this project? Do I like that idea because it's funny, but it doesn't really fit into this project? So what am I going to do with this? The biggest thing to me, and I've worked, again, William Holmes, uh, my producing partner, and I are very similar on this, and this is why we work so well together, is that we don't have ego about any of it. It's all about the best thing for the production and for the project. We're not going around going, well, this was my idea. This was my idea. I did this. He did that. You know, all those things. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. It's about the product. And at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's for the betterment of the show. And we're not arguing over ego or, or what somebody else is trying to do or trying to think. It's been, it's been a, uh, said to a lot of, about a lot of people, but my, my first person I heard it from was Jack Benny, where somebody asked him why you know, on his show, he was an old time comedian for people that don't know. On his, he had a radio show and then a TV show. And somebody asked him, why do you always give the jokes to the guest? And Jack Betty said, you know, nobody says, oh, did you see so-and-so on the program last night? Or did you hear that one joke that this person said on that program last night? It's, did you see that show last night? So it doesn't matter. If people are enjoying the show, that's when you, that's when you know you've won. And you can all share in that. And it doesn't take anything away from anybody. Yeah. And, and you can feel that. I mean, if people really step back and think about some of the things they've enjoyed, there's characters that you hate and that like visceral reaction is good. Like they've been able to produce something inside of you about whatever they made. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I was a a carpenter out in in New York doing events and theater and, and stuff for a long time. And, uh, I've had a lot of interesting jobs. But I worked in some shows that, that people, uh, if anybody's out in New York and then ever saw uh, Sleep No More, I was one of the carpenters on that show. And if when I tell people that, they go, oh, my goodness, that was amazing. And they start talking about it. They don't usually ask me, well, what exactly piece of wood did you put up? What did you do here? It's just the fact that you're a part of this amazing thing. And think of that with Star Wars. If you ran into somebody who's like, oh, yeah, I worked on Star Wars. That's incredible. I want, if you watch the uh, documentary on Frozen 2, those illustrators, the, the, the um, animators and stuff, they work on very tiny sections because it's so in-depth. They work on five seconds, eight seconds or something like that. But if you ran into one of them, 
you're not going to, you know, to say, yeah, I worked on that. It's like, oh, that's incredible. You're a part of this amazing thing. That's awesome. And that's what all of this is. It's not about the ego. If you, I think the death of most artistic endeavors is, is that ego. And you have to, you know, again, self-awareness, whether you're like, well, am I doing this because of my ego or because it's, I think it's the best thing for the show or because, you know, people are getting into my head or, or what's the point of this? Do I deserve this? Is it, is that what it's about or is it for the show? And I think that's, that's a superpower that if you can start thinking about um, your own place, then uh, I think your all your artistic endeavors are going to be even better. Yeah. And alongside all these things that do make a show great, do you have just like a notebook of ideas that didn't fit and you're like, maybe I'll hold on to these for something else? Uh, yeah. Especially when you do comedy, because I've written I've written in films um, and especially comedy. You come up with jokes that are just so funny to you, but they don't work within the story or they don't, or they, they take away from the scene or something like that. And so you write it down and you're like, well, I'm going to find a place for this sometime in my life. Cause I think this is hilarious. There are definitely things where I'm like, ah, oh, I really like this idea. I wanted this. It's not necessary for the show. And so we cut it. It's, it's sad and it's hard, but again, that comes back to that self-awareness. You're like, look, is this staying in here because I really, really like it and I want to point it out to people or something, or is it because I think it's good for this scene or for this show? And then sometimes I will be honest. There are some times when you're like, this is not funny. It doesn't serve the scene. I know of that. I'm leaving it in because I want to. And I have the self-awareness to know I'm doing this because I want to. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's just the way it goes. And because I made it, I can. Yeah. And I mean, if there was somebody that was trying to, we'll just say one of the audience members mm -hmm. really wanted to develop some kind of a, a big creative project of any kind, is there an advice that you'd give them to, I mean, either get started or to push through? Uh, yes. And, and I've, I've told this to a number of people who, when they ask me, especially about writing, don't, don't start from a final standpoint, a, a mental space. The first thing I do is I will write down notes. I'll write down, I'll make a terrible novelization of the story I want to tell. And, and then I'll write based on those bullet points. I literally wrote a movie that me and, and Bill had sort of come up I, I came up with a title and 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 all this stuff and then we wrote a bunch of jokes that were in this world just because we thought it was funny and I wrote them all down I took those jokes and made a movie out of it and then I wrote like a five-page terribly spelled novelization of this thing and then I took that and edited it into you know scenes and then I took those scenes and made a script and the hardest part for any of it is to get down the first thing don't think, don't edit for me. I can't edit as I go because my brain works faster than I type. So if I don't get everything down, whether you handwrite it, I, I, you know, I'll go to a coffee shop with a notebook and just write down a bunch of ideas that I have of things you don't have, you know, they can be good ideas, bad ideas, whatever, just get it all down. Don't delete things. I had a teacher in high school tell me once, never, never, you know, first draft, never delete anything. 
Just take it and put it in another document because you never know when you're going to go, you know what, that was a decent thing that I can put somewhere else. Don't scratch out things. Don't tear pages out and throw them away. Keep them because you never know when that will give you an idea for something else. Don't beat yourself up. Don't worry about what it looks like to other people. If somebody says, well, this and that, you're like, this is a first draft. This is not even a first draft. This is a pre, you know, brain. I'm having a brainstorm by myself. It's, and don't get me wrong. All of the things that I'm saying are very frustrating. There are numerous times. And if you have to put it down and walk away and come back, there's nothing wrong with that. You're not on a timeline. You're not, this has to get out next week. I have to do this very quickly. We all feel like we're on those those timelines I do constantly because I want to get to the next step. Also have the self-awareness, whether you are a perfectionist or if you are just somebody who can always find flaws in what you're doing, but just start somewhere. That's the hardest part. And I'm sure people have heard this all over the time. And people say, for me, the hardest part is to look at a blank page and write down something, anything at all. Um, and then see, you know, if, if you can't figure out that first scene, but you know what happens in the second scene, start with the second scene and then come back. Getting something down is better than, than anything else. Wow. And that is really such good advice because I can think of all the times that I've started writing things and I've gotten frustrated and I've just walked away from it entirely or I didn't like how I started. And so I just, you know, I didn't have that drive to push through, but you know, if you can just brainstorm everything out and then just start working from a place of like, wow, this is bad. Let's make it better. Exactly. And I mean, we've all seen movies and stuff where a writer will sit there, they're writing a novel and they can't get past the first line. And they're like, I have writer's block. And you're like, I don't personally, I don't know if that's realistic. Writer's block is totally realistic, but I just mean the idea of like, well, if I can't get this first line, I'm not going to do anything. It's just not for me anyway, that's not how I can work. I will write jokes. I'll write scenes. I'll write dialogue and I'll go, that's terrible. Well, I'll come back to it and just keep on moving because again, the most important thing in all this is the relationships and the storylines and the, and, and that it's not that one line. It's not that one scene. It's this whole relationship these people have with each other. So if you can get out those bullet points and then go back and make the dialogue work, you're going to learn more about your characters as you go on. So when you go back to that first scene, you're like, oh, this is what they would say now. Now I understand these characters a little bit more. I can make this dialogue work better. Yeah. Do you have, I mean, a process for yourself when you're writing for another character? Um, so, I mean, I it helps me to cast people in my head, either friends of mine or actors or or just like get a visualization of who this person is because then I can hear a voice, even if it's not who you're going to cast. 90% of the time, it's not who you're going to cast. But it helps to see this person and then so I know how they're going to talk. We had, you know, like I said, I mentioned earlier, we had a writer's weekend and we had six people that we knew come and we worked out these, the world. And then the next day we talked about storyline and, and these, and we did these bullet points and then I would for each episode, and then I would give those. Ep- I would t- I took those bullet points and flushed them out, and then I would give episodes to different writers, and they would write something, and then they 
give it back to me. And then I would take it and either change up things, make the voice, you know, consistent because different people are writing. But after all of those things, after figuring out what these wants and needs of these characters are, it makes the dialogue a lot easier because I know in my head I have, oh, I have this person in my head and this is how they would say this. And this is what, you know, the acting would be and all these things. All of it changes once you get people in the recording booth. All of it changes again when you get it into the editing room and you start designing. Nothing has to stay that way, but it just every step of the way. That's why I say don't start from the Well, this is what it's actually going to sound like at the very end, because it's all going to change. And it should. None of this is a, a one person show. Your actor is going to have different ideas. And if you're a good director, you're going to look at what your actor's doing and then help them bring out something even better, not change everything that they're doing. So that's, like I say, I, I, even when I'm writing, I think of it like a movie. We have large descriptions of, of what things look like and the action that's happening. Every sword fight, every fist fight, everything that we do is actually choreographed. So when we're recording them, we know ex- very specifically what moves they're doing. When I'm designing it, it can change a little bit, but I make very specific choices on what actions are happening who's swinging the sword where it's going you know where the sword is hitting the other sword or is it hitting an armor or is it hit you know is their leg getting swept out from under them or they're getting kicked in the back all of those things i'm making choices but again the first from the first writing to the last design is not the same they're not the same but that's what i'm seeing to get me to the next step is something very specific yeah and that's i mean it really does it goes through so many hands and so many steps, especially at the level you're at, just to to try and get something to a final stage. That and, uh, it seems like a concrete idea would be almost infeasible. Well, and even you know, I was the last person to to the writing. I you know, I did the sound design. Me and Bill did the recording. You know, there's a bunch of people who read the scripts and wanted to change different things. But even, you know, it, it may sound like we had like large teams doing this, but at the end of the day, it was really Bill and I making all these artistic decisions from the script to the directing to the sound design. So it's not even necessarily hitting a whole bunch of different artistic hands. It's just what happens along the way. We're letting go of one idea because a better idea came along or an idea that fits better with this came, came along. If I held on to everything that I wrote had to be in the final thing, it wouldn't be feasible. It wouldn't be the production that it is because sometimes you're like, yeah, that's not working. And you have to know that it's not working so you can move on. And that seems like, I mean, so much wisdom that goes into it to know when something's not working or that you can do better or that you just don't like this because it doesn't fit and not because you don't like it. Is this just things you picked up along the way or was there somebody that kind of helped guide you to where you are? I mean, that's that's sort of what life is, isn't it? It's helping everybody else along the way and, and taking the advice that you can and, and, and rolling with it. I mean, you know, teachers in college, I, I was an acting student and, you know, you look around and, and, and you see different people holding on to different ideas and different things and then figuring out you know I like who I am now better than I did 
you know, years ago, because I have this came to this place of self-awareness and I'm sure that it's going to grow even further and further as I get older, as, as we all do. And we change, that's what we're supposed to do. I, I mean, I can't credit to one person that goes, you know, who told me all these things, but I, I'm guessing that I've been being told these things since I was in middle school or even younger, but you know, at some point it just starts clicking for you. Um, I was actually telling, talking about a teacher earlier today who I had in college and I was having a really bad day and he really liked messing with people and I was having a bad day and I'm walking down the hall and he said, I don't even remember what it was. He said something to me and I was just having the day and I was a sophomore, I think maybe a junior. And I just turned around and go, are you trying to piss me off? And he just looks at me and he goes, Hey, if I can piss you off, you're giving me way too much power. And then he just walked away in his sassy way. (laughs) And I was like, Fuck that guy. Oh, sorry. Uh, screw that guy. You're good. You can. This is uh, it's okay. entirely free, so you can say what you want. Uh, I was like, screw that guy. But you know, he's right. And that's just one moment that I that I held on to. And there are times when I have absolutely grabbed onto something. You're like, no, it has to be this way because of these things and blah, blah, blah. And get really angry at somebody. And then you walk away and you're kind of like, yeah, it doesn't. I'm completely wrong about it, but I just wasn't at a place when we were having this conversation to have that conversation. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And there's a lot of self-doubt in everything, especially when you're working at a team where you're like, well, this, I like this. And someone says, well, I don't understand this. And you're like, well, who's right? And you're, you could both be right. And you find that compromise or you fight for what you want because of why you want it. And everything gets easier if you let it. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't say there's one person that, that gave that to me, but I think it's people throughout my entire life have probably said these kinds of things, you, you know, you got to work with people. You gotta, you gotta trust yourself, all those things and all of it's true. And then it just clicks one day and it'll click again and again and again for me. I'm sure again, I will learn more about myself every day. And that is irritating and frustrating thing to hear because you're like great that doesn't help me right now and that's what everybody tells me it just sounds like total bullshit i'm like yeah you're not wrong about any of those things i just i'm looking forward to you to getting to the point where it all makes sense right and that's definitely a frustrating process to uh you know you have somebody tell you the thing you don't want to hear and you're like in this moment i'm not accepting that but i will come back to this and it will be correct unfortunately for me (laughs) yeah Hmm. and and you know you also got to look at your team the people you surround yourself with are they cultivating a good environment that that works for you or are you trying to put yourself into an environment that you really don't like because you think well if i just stick it out it'll all work out fine you know one of the things when i was younger people would say well here's a problem you you just got to trust it's going to be okay And I did that and it doesn't, it's not. And then, so now when somebody says, you know, I was like, here's a problem. And they go, look, you just got to trust everyone's going to do their job. And I go, I'm out because no, I don't. And you're literally ignoring the fact that you see a problem as well. There's trust and then there's denial. And, you know, if you can figure out the difference between those two, (laughs) you're going to be good as well. Yeah. And I mean, you've done a lot of work over a lot of fields, over a lot of areas and practices. And have there been things that you're like, you know what, this doesn't work for me. 
and it's okay. And I just need to, you know, walk away from this and do something different. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've worked on projects where I've had that conversation with somebody where they're like, well, this is what's going to happen. I go, I totally understand. I don't want to be a part of this. If this changes, let me know and uh, we'll talk again. And there's been arguments where people say, well, this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, this is stupid. I don't want to do it. Why don't I, you know, and I'll tell you, you know, me walking away from something, not angry about it is a lot healthier for me. You know, a lot of people want the other person to realize how much, how stupid they are and how wrong they are. And they want them to do all these things. Like, you didn't listen to me. And I'm glad that this happened. And I'm just not that person anymore. I most of the time because I need to mentally check myself because you can get into really bad places and it's so much harder and so much more work. And that's not to say that I don't get jealous and I don't get, you know, envious and, and all these things of other people's projects. Cause I do constantly, you, you remind yourself that you're like, you know, you don't really hate, you know, other people or, you know, there's a difference between jealousy and envy. One is I don't want you to have that. And one is, man, I wish I had that too. One of them is a lot healthier than the other one. Yes, definitely healthier. I think everyone finds themselves very envious from time to time. You've just kind of got to be okay with it and say like, well, what can I do to, to gain that envy from someone else? Yeah. Or, you know, you hear people say like, I'll be happy where you're at and easier said than done, obviously. And nothing ever happens at the speed that you want it to. I wanted Carcerum to have been done two years ago. I will say if it had been done two years, like uh, two years before it actually got done, if it had gotten done, then if everything went way smoother, it may not have been as good as it is now because I learned a lot and, and took our time and, and all these things. You just don't know. And it, you know, I could be, you know, if I had a bad day and we were having this talk, I, I might be a very different person where I'm just like, no, everything's terrible. And, and this is it. And we could have done better if it wasn't for all these people. And we should be, you know, with this and that. And all. But yeah, at the end of the day, I've had people tell me I sound bitter about certain things when I talk about it. And it's never really a thought that crosses my mind. I get very passionate about stuff, but that bitterness doesn't help. And I've, I've been in really bad places because I've, I've had friends do bad things and, and, you know, I've had projects not work out or get stolen or, you know, all those kinds of things. But I am here today and I feel mentally a lot happier than I have in a lot of times in my life. And that's definitely a very good thing yeah. um, because there's a lot of, a lot of people not very happy where they are and not in a very good, healthy place. And, and I would never tell anybody, you know, just it's a positive mindset. I'm, I'm a huge, a huge believer in, in therapy. If you need help, you should reach out. I've had, I've done, uh, you know, those kinds of things before, cause I've been in very dark places. I think it's great that, you know, mental talking about mental health is getting a lot more acceptable. And I think it's very important, but I will say that outside of those, you know, clinical depression, anxiety, all those things. You know, if you're in those bad places and you can do the self-discovery of, well, why am I so unhappy with my life right now? 
if you can pinpoint things, that's great. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'd be happy with my life if something, somebody gave me a shot or if somebody gave me something. Unfortunately, those aren't things that you have control over. But if you can find something, again, this is way easier said than done in a million different ways. But if you can find something that you can actually act upon, that's great. Not, you know, it's hard and it's not easy and it's miserable a lot of the time because you, especially if you've been working for something towards something for so long and it's just not happening and you say, well, if this one thing would just happen, I'd be happy. But the amount of people I know that worked their way towards Broadway and then they got their first Broadway show. And these are stories all over the place. They got their first Broadway show and then they quit because they had been working towards something that didn't make them happy to begin with. And they didn't know that, but they had spent so much time and energy and, and life doing, working towards that, that. They couldn't back out. They couldn't stop. They're too, you know, they're in the pot, so to speak. It's life is hard and it's constantly changing. And I wish anybody ever anywhere had any advice to make it easier, but self-awareness is the thing that I think everyone should work on. And it's hard. It's really hard. It definitely is because you've got to, you know, acknowledge some things about yourself and your situation and maybe things you're not ready to face yet, but eventually you have to face them because they're not just going to go away. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to face them, but you're going to be very unhappy for a lot longer. Right. And I'd love to, I mean, it's that, as soon as you said it, it was a question I want to ask where I'm like, yeah, how do you find the thing that is right for you? And I'm like, well, no one knows. No one can just tell you, oh, it's this process. There's a test online. Yeah, I don't know. And I will say, you know, the where I am in my life now is not A, where I pictured myself or B, where I want to end up forever. This is where I am at now. The things that I want to do are vast and in different areas and and you know the the idea of like well be happy where you are right now is does not mean don't work toward don't continue to work towards what you want it's more of a well look where you came you know you have to acknowledge it's really helpful to acknowledge if you were where you are now three years ago would that have been really cool just because it kind of gives you a little bit of perspective but keep working towards what you want and you can always change. There's nothing, there's nothing saying you can't. And, and a lot of people don't change because they think that someone will look at them and go, well, you just spent so much time doing this and you just gave up on it. You're like, no, I, you know, that the idea of giving up is, is terrible because there's not a whole lot of that, you know, it's, it's, well, I've changed what I want uh, or I've changed perspectives or I have, you know, if you're making a puzzle and you're just like, I'm bored. You're like, well, I gave up on making that puzzle. I'm like, well, yeah, but it's also a puzzle. It's the point of the puzzle is to enjoy yourself. But especially with people's lives and careers, they're like, well, I just gave up being a, a an accountant. You're like, well, you didn't really give up. You let it go because you didn't like doing it anymore. Or I really like doing this, but I hate the culture that it, it provides. 
you know, I know a lot of uh, a lot of singers or dancers or uh, people who played sports who, you know, like, yeah, I don't do it anymore. You're like, well, you were so good. Why don't you? It's like, because I didn't like the people I was around. I didn't enjoy myself. It stopped being fun because I liked playing that sport and it started being this whole other thing with horrible people and mind games and all that stuff. And people go, well, if you don't like the game, get out of the pot or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to be bullied. So I'm not going to hang around a bunch of bullies. It doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you wrong. It doesn't make you giving up. It just goes, yeah, my happiness is not worth this. And I don't see getting past this section of this hard time because the section right after that is still miserable. So don't, don't worry about that stuff. And if someone says, you just gave up on it, you go, no, I didn't. I changed. And that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Am I unhappy where I am or am I unhappy what I'm doing? Because if, if it's what you're doing and you just keep doing the, the same thing in different places, it's not going to necessarily change your outcome. Exactly. <laughs> Aside from, sorry, very, very deep thought. Um, <laughs> I try not to go on any, any tangents or anything, but then I eventually hear, you know, a very critical thought, like what you just dropped on us. And I'm like, well, how do I move on now? Yeah. Uh, Sorry. No, it's good. It's a good thing. This is why I have notes. And I look back at them and I'm like, okay, breathe. If there were people out there that wanted to get into a creative endeavor, is there a place you would tell them to start? Well, I, I mean, it depends on the creative endeavor, I would say. But I would say start at a place where you're not worried about the money making part of it. If you are, if you're going to get good at a craft, if you're going to be good at, you know, your engineering or your writing or, or any of this stuff, and this is again, easier said than done. But if you start with it at a place where going, well, I'm not, I don't need to make money at this right now. That's not the point. The point is to enjoy it and be good at it. Find the fun in that, you know, whether it's drawing or whether it's writing, you know, find the way to enjoy yourself doing it you have time to be terrified that you can't sell something if that's the eventual goal. But, you know, always start from a place of, well, how do I do this and enjoy myself? Because as you enjoying yourself, your art is going to be better. At least that's my opinion. There are people that believe, you know, all art comes from pain. Edgar Allan Poe probably would not have been who he was if he, if, you know, wasn't, miserable and and all that stuff but i i'll bet he still enjoyed putting those words down and i bet it helped him in many ways that's what i'd say that's the best idea i have is start from a place of enjoying yourself and then worry about the money later and i think that's something everybody needs to take to heart if you're doing it just for the money be prepared to be unhappy because you're not necessarily going to be just because you're making money. Right. Yeah. And it takes a lot to do that. It, it can take a, a long time to make money if that's what your goal is. So if you're miserable until you make money, you could be miserable for a while. Yeah. Well, I know I've kept you well over an hour and I honestly, I'd love to keep this conversation. Just keep going because Anytime. I, I think this has been my favorite interview I've ever done. <laughs> Thank you. I've enjoyed myself thoroughly. 
Well, I'm glad, and I am so glad to have you come on the show, and I would love to have you back again. We'll just talk about the next different topic, whatever Sounds it might be. I love it. Yeah. Uh, people out there that are listening, obviously, if you're having a commute anywhere, go listen to Curserum. Go listen to it even if you're not having a commute. Just sit down and listen. At C-A-R-C-E-R-E-M, if you're looking at it for on your podcast places, or you can go to CarserumTheSeries.com. There you go. Anywhere else people could find you? Uh, I mean, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, but all of those you can find us at carcerumtheseries.com. Everybody should be checking it out. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show again. Yeah, thank you. Hey, thanks again for dropping by for another episode, or maybe your first episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I have a mission out there for everyone that's listening. I'd really, really appreciate it if you could just tell one other person about this. Just tell one friend and say, hey, there's this really cool podcast I've been listening to, and the host is an idiot, and you probably know him, because who's listening to this other than people I know? Apparently a lot of people. But it would mean a lot, and trying to grow this show means a lot to me, and all of my listeners mean a lot to me, and I just want to do the best I can for everyone. So I'd appreciate it. Uh, Go on iTunes if you haven't left a review already and you have an Apple product. Uh, Go on Spotify or wherever you're listening to and hit that follow button. It promotes me in the rankings and helps me get seen by more people. All right, you should reach out to me if you have any new ideas or people you want on. Um, That's about it. I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.